Well, welcome, welcome, and good morning. Good to see you guys here. We got a lot of people here. I think we got more adults than kids this time, right? That's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. It's good to see so many people here. Um, and I'd like to say hello to those of us that are still joining us online. I hear that we have someone all the way from Pennsylvania joining us this morning. So hello from South Dakota uh, to Pennsylvania. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, this morning, uh, we're continuing our series uh, as we've been speaking about uh, called Slaves to Children, about how God is bringing us from being slaves to our sin to children of God and looking at the Israelites, how God brought them from slaves to children uh, from the land of Egypt into, uh, through the wilderness and into his promised land, uh, calling them um, his people. And, uh, and so we're looking at that in Exodus, looking at the Ten Commandments. And I've really enjoyed kind of looking at the Ten Commandments and, and calling them the Ten Truths that God has designed us to live by. When we live by design, things go a lot more smoothly, right? Things uh, work out a lot better for us when we live the way that we were designed to live. And so specifically, we're going to look this morning at the truth that we were designed to love one another, to love each other, to be in community, and to look at each other uh, through the eyes of love. And so, um, as always, we always want to bring us back to context. And in Exodus, uh, as God is giving us these words, what is going on? What's happening? And so the context is, obviously, God has just brought his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of all they've ever known is centuries upon centuries upon centuries of uh, being slaves and being oppressed and truly being dehumanized, right? And their, their humanness is just de degraded and disgraced uh, while they were in the land of Egypt uh, under the, 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 the rule of Pharaoh. And so God has brought them out into the wilderness, and now he's giving his people a new lens to look through. He's giving his people a new way of seeing the world, of seeing themselves, and of seeing other people. And so uh, he wants them to see things in a different way, right? And he wants the same thing for us, too. Uh, Paul says it this way in Romans, up, up here on the screen, in Romans uh, 12 two, he says, do not be conformed to this world. I, I like the message translation says, do not be squeezed into the world's patterns. Okay. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, we don't want to be conformed by the way the world sees things and the world, the, the way the world uh, thinks, but we want to be renewed. We want our minds to be renewed and see the world, see ourselves and see others in a new way, right? And so it's more than just behavior change. God wants more from us than just changing our behavior and saying, do this, don't do that, right? He wants a change in our worldview. He wants to change the way we see people, the way we see ourselves and the way we see him. Okay, so... Uh, this morning we're, we're looking at Exodus 20:16, and this is the commandment that we are looking at. Um, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Pretty short, pretty sweet, pretty simple, 
But the first thing I notice, if you don't notice it, is that there's a couple words or a phrase that we just don't use very often in today's language. Like, bear false witness. What does that even mean, right? We don't go around saying, well, I think you bared false, false witness against me. Or I think you're bearing false witness against that person. We don't use that terminology very often. And so we want to kind of look at that first and see, like, what is this even saying to what does it mean to bear false witness against someone? And so this word bear in the Hebrew simply means to reply or respond to someone's actions, words, or implication. To reply, uh, not replay, reply, respond, or answer to someone's actions, their implications, their speech, their words. And so right off the bat, we know that this applies to us directly because we reply and respond to people every day. If you interact with people, if you're not a hermit, out in the mountains that doesn't see anybody ever, then this applies to you because we are constantly replying and answering and responding to people throughout our day. Whether it's our family, our coworkers, our friends, those who we might not consider our friends, we're we're replying, we're responding to them. And so the question is, how do we respond? How do we respond to others who are taking action or speaking to us or, or, or implying things about us? And, and, and also, and more importantly, how do we respond when those people have wronged us? When, those, when other people have offended us or hurt us or even threatened us, how do we respond to that? How do we answer back? And so... The first uh, tendency in our human nature when we have someone wrong us or threaten us or offend us is self-preservation. We want to protect ourselves, right? Fight or flight. We either get in a posture of defense or offense. We either defend ourselves to protect ourselves or we attack that other person. That is the first human nature tendency that we all have when we are attacked or threatened. And so the problem is, is that we are more interested in ourself. We seek out self-interest more than the interest of others. That's our, our human nature tendency and our, our worldview is to have self-interest rather than other interest, which causes us to reply and respond or bear a, a representation of that person that's false. That's not true. Okay? And you might say, and the question comes up, what if, Chris, but what if what they said or what they did was true? What if they really did say those things? What if they really did do those things that hurt me and, and that offended me? Okay? And you've heard the saying, well, it's not gossip if it's true. Well, I'm not judging them. I'm just stating a fact, right? We all try to kind of get out of it with these little, little sayings of, well, if it's true, it's true. You just got to say what's true, right? But I want to stop there 
And I want to say that Jesus is calling us to something deeper. Jesus is calling us something, to something deeper than just looking at a person's actions or behavior. You see, I could talk about gossip, and I could talk about what it is and what it isn't, and when you're doing it and when maybe you're not doing it. I could talk about judgment, and I could talk about what it is and what it isn't. I could talk about all those behaviors and actions that we do, but I think that God wants us to go beyond the behavior. I think that God wants us to go deeper than just our actions and the actions of other people. He wants us to go deeper into a view of the world, a view of us, ourselves, and a view of others that is right and that is accurate and that is true. He wants to take us to a deeper truth. And so to get to the deeper truth, to get to the heart and the spirit of this commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, I believe that there's two central perspectives we have to take on. There's two central worldviews we have to change uh, in ourselves in order to, to, to love our neighbors and to not bear false witness, to reply out of them out of a, of a, of a self-interest and a self-protection of ourselves, right? And so the first one, the first perspective that we need to have is a just and right view of humanity. A just and right view of humanity. And the first place we see this, this right view of humanity, is before humanity did anything. Okay, And it's our very intrinsic identity of who we are. And it's at the core of who we are because it's, it's who God sees us as before we even did anything. And we see it in Genesis 1, 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So at the core of who we are as humanity, every single person, every single human being is an image bearer of God. Now let that sink in and reflect, and you can try, try to like filter out um, lots of people in your minds throughout the world and throughout history and say there's no way that person was an image bearer. But I'm not talking about actions or behavior. I'm talking about the intrinsic identity of us as humans, as who God created us originally to be, to be image bearers of God. It's not about what they do. It's about who they are and who are they, they were created to be. So to speak negatively about anyone, any human being, to, te to tear down any human being is to disgrace and dishonor the very image of God. Do you think about that when you talk about other people? That what you're doing in speaking about them, whether it's positive or negative, is either tearing down or building up the image of God. The very image of God. When we speak, do we tear down or build up? Paul says it in this way in Ephesians. He says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Are you building up others and therefore building up the image of God? Or are you tearing down others or criticizing others? 
what would our life and our relationships be like if we saw everybody as an image of God? If we saw every single person we interacted with, whether we like them or don't like them, as an image bearer of God? You see, we can, we can often look at those we like, our friends, as the image of God and treat them as such. And Jesus even uh, answers to this. He says, that's easy. He says, it's easy to love those who like you. And even, even those who don't fear God can do that. Anybody can, do, can love those who love them back. That's easy. The hard part is to love your enemies. He says this. He says, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And even you greet only, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect or whole as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay? So, Jesus is saying, man, he even boils it down to being the sons of your father, an identity issue, that in your identity, you are called to love everybody, to love those who even hate you, or you would even call your enemies, or they would call you their enemies. And so what would it look like in your life and in your relationships if you saw everyone, your friends, your relatives around Thanksgiving and Christmas time, um, your, those people that just get under your skin, those people that you just don't really like, right? They just bug you. They just get to you, and they rub you the wrong way. What would your relationship be like with them if you saw them in light of that they're an image of God? They're, they're bearing God's image, And even your enemies, those who truly hate you, don't like you. If you have those people in your life, how would that change your perspective of them if you saw them as God's image? And not only that, but how would the rest of the world see you and us? How would they see us if we saw us loving people like that and seeing people like that and replying and answering to people in that way? And you guys, just to take it off of us, because remember, this is not about us. We are not, it's not our story, you know, and God's part of it. It's God's story, and we are a part of it, right? So how would people see the God that we serve when we start loving people like that? How would people see and and understand the God that we say is the one God? When we start loving people like that and seeing people like that, they wouldn't be able to say anything. They wouldn't be able to talk bad about us. Titus 2.8, show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teachings show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. 
so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. See, how often do we, do we have people come up to, to us and, and say something bad about someone else, and, and we say, there's no way. Like, that, that person would never do that because I know them, and I've seen how they love people. I've seen how they speak about people. There's no way. But how often do we come, does someone come up to us and talk about someone else, and we're like, yep, that sounds about right. I believe it. The sad thing is more often than not, it's the latter. But how would people respond if, if, they, if they said something about you and they were completely put to shame because that, it didn't hold water? See, out of a right view of humanity, as all humans being the image of God, we will love others. It will be natural to love others because of the way we see them. But the second part is more of a look inward at ourselves. And it's a humble and accurate view of ourselves. Seeing ourselves with a, with a humble and true view of who we are. And um, that we are frail. We are frail human beings in need of God's grace. Um, there's a 15th century priest named Thomas Akempis. He wrote this book called The Inner Life. And he says this. He says, A true understanding and a humble estimate of oneself is the highest and most valuable of all lessons. To take no account of oneself, but always to think well and highly of others is the highest wisdom and perfection. Should you see another person openly doing evil and carrying out a wicked purpose, do not on that account consider yourself better than him, for you cannot tell how long you will remain in the state of grace. We are all frail. Consider none more frail than yourself. You see, if we view ourselves as constantly being in the state of grace, that without God's grace we could do uh, anything left to ourselves. We could do any of the acts that we see as detestable and wicked and wrong left to ourselves without God's grace in our life. And so we need to have this, this frail understanding of who we are and, and how, uh, how weak we, we are in ourselves. And when we look at others, we see, hey, they're, they're no, I'm no better than them. Without God's grace. And so this leads us to a heart of compassion. Compassion uh, is a word that mean, literally means to suffer with. So seeing others hurt and their pain as if it were your own. And when we see that, when we see others' pain and others' hurt as if it's your own, we, we just love. We just love them. Because, as Jesus says, we love our neighbor as yourself. You get that? As yourself? It begs the question, how would you love you? How often do we ask that? When we see another person acting out or, or doing something uh, against you or speaking against yourself. How would you love that person if that person were you? How would you want to be loved? 
And also, who would you want to be loved by? The golden rule, Jesus says, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Do to others what would you would have them do to you. How would you want to be loved by them through that, in that hurt and in that pain? And this is the point that Jesus wants us to get to in sharing a story known as the Good Samaritan. Okay, and we're going to go there um, this morning. And we're going to look at this story that Jesus shares with us about the Good Samaritan. Okay, and we're going to see um, why Jesus shares this and how he wants us to see it and see others, okay, and also see ourselves. And so we see in the Good Samaritan that Jesus gets approached by uh, these religious leaders and specifically a lawyer. Now, this is not a courtroom lawyer. This is not a legal lawyer of the justice system. This is a lawyer in the sense that he is an expert at the law of Moses, right? He knows the, the law of the Old Testament by the back of his hand. He knows the Ten Commandments by heart. He knows everything there needs to, to be known about the law, or so he thinks. And this lawyer comes up to Jesus, and he says this. He says, uh, this lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, Jesus says to him, uh, what is written in the law? You're the expert, <laughs> in, in a sense. You're the expert. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, notice that self-interest, self-protection, wanting to justify himself, says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He asks this question, Who is my neighbor? And this is a typical case of where's the line? Okay? How close can I get without being in trouble? All right? We can all relate. If you've grown up with siblings, maybe, you can relate to this, right? Uh, my wife tells a story of her growing up with brothers in the car on road trips and them just going up to her face going, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. You ever play that with your siblings? Uh, my daughter is into gymnastics and uh, dance, and so she's always moving all the time, right? Even at the dinner table, uh, all of a sudden we'd be like sitting at the dinner table and her foot is above her head all of a sudden. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, how, one, how do you even do that? And two, uh, not at the dinner table. Okay, Emery, from now on, your foot needs to be below the table, okay, all times at the dinner table. And the, what's the first thing she does? It's below the table. You know, it's like right there, like right at the table. She's like, ah, it's, it's below the table still. And she likes to, you know, play how close can I get without crossing that line. And that's what this guy is doing. How close can I get without crossing the line of being uncomfortable, of moving outside of my comfort zone? And so he says, who is my neighbor? 
But, so Jesus tells this story, and it's a strategic story. It's a story uh, that he places characters in this story in a, in a strategic way for the man to identify himself with one of the characters in the story. And so he says to him, there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, by all accounts, it would have been fully assumed that this man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho is a Jewish man. Okay? So that's the implication. There's a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going by down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, another Jewish man, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, let me stop there. A Samaritan is the absolute enemy of a Jew. It is, uh, the Jews did not like Samaritans. They didn't think them uh, as fully children of God. They, they didn't think of them as, as fully human even. They were, uh, you know, half-breeds to Jewish people, so they did not like them. They would, in all, by all accounts, be considered their enemy. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to, to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So question. Which person, which character in the story did Jesus want this lawyer to identify with? What do you guys think? The Samaritan? The man who fell on the robbers. Yeah, most people would think at first, yeah, identify with the Samaritan and go do that. Or identify with the priest and Levite and don't do that. It's either don't do this or do more of this. But I truly think, along with Michael, that he wants him to identify with the man in the ditch left for dead. Because if we can identify with that person, we can see that we are in need ourselves. We need love. We need grace. We need mercy in our lives just as much as anybody else. And if we can identify with that person in the ditch in need of grace and mercy, then we can go and do likewise, as Jesus says, to others. And it also begs the question, as Jesus says this, that there's a Samaritan that's helping him. Okay, there's a Samaritan that's helping this guy on the side of the road in the ditch left for dead. That says, you know, if, if that were me, if I was left on the side, how would I want to be loved? Would I care who stopped along the side of the road? Would I care who it was who helped me? 
Would I care if they were a Republican or a Democrat? Would I care if they were a heterosexual or a homosexual? Would I care what the color of their skin was? Would I care what side of the tracks they came from? Would I care who they were to the world and in the world's eyes? Or would I just want them to help me and to love me and to show me mercy if I am truly in need and need help? Would I care who that person is? And secondly, would I want them to care who I was? Would I want that person to stop and say, hmm, they're not like me. I don't think I'll help them today. I would think that we wouldn't want them to care just as much as we wouldn't care because we see the hurt. We see the pain. We see the need. And when we see others hurt, when we see others need, we can love them just out of that. We can only love them when we see ourselves as just as frail, just as broken, and just as in need of God's grace and God's mercy. And when we see ourselves and others in the image of God and deeply in need of that grace, it's at that point that we can then extend that grace and that mercy to others. Because uh, we can go and do likewise. Because you guys, we are all in need. We are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. But by God's grace, he has picked us up out of the ditch. He has shown us grace and mercy through Christ, through what he did on the cross. He's gone to every length to heal us and to heal our brokenness so that we can go and do likewise. Love one another out of a right and just view of humanity as image bearers of God. Love one another out of a humble and accurate estimate and view of ourselves. Let me pray for us. God, your grace has no bounds. Your mercy is unending in our life. I pray that we can see you and see ourselves and see others in light of that. And then out of that just comes an overflow of grace and mercy for others. And God, help us to see and um, God, show us who we need to show mercy to today. Show us who we need to, to view and see in the light of, of your image. Help us to humble ourselves enough to, to serve, to help, and to help heal other people through your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.